This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell means mystery, adventure. Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. You want Mr. Wolf to what? Mr. Wolf will do nothing of the sort, Archie. Mr. Wolf is thirsty. Hold on for a moment. Uh, the bottle opener is in the left-hand drawer of your desk. Thank you, Archie. Mr. Wolf, I've got a man named Denby on the phone. He wants you to umpire a card game. Man is insane. He's offering a fee. The answer is no. I know nothing of card games, nor do I wish to learn. Okay. Well, the answer is no, Mr. Denby. Sure, I'll ask him again. After he finishes the beer he's working on. Goodbye. People appall me. The fantasies they indulge in. Bah, what on earth made that maniac think I might consent to preside at a card game? Well, seems he expects one of the players to be death. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the bulkiest, balkiest, smartest, and most unpredictable detective in the world. That chair-born genius, Nero Wolf, Created by Rex Stout and brought to you in a new series of adventures over this NBC network in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. not attend, but the card game went on anyway. At the home of a Mr. Stephen Denby. Gene? Yes? The custom? Mr. Piper? I think we're ready to begin, eh? I'm ready. Yes, Gene, you always are. How I like that remark, I'll have to decide later on. Yeah, please do. The custom? It's all right with me. And Mr. Piper? I, uh, I brought a deck. No, as host, I shall supply the card. Uh, before we play, I examine them, yes? Of course. Here you are. Chuck. Yeah, Mr. Denby. You will remain outside the door until called. No one is to enter this room under any circumstances. Got it. Lucasta? The cards look all right. Thank you. Now then... Shall we make things absolutely clear? You mean, should you make a speech? I don't mind. But uh, make it short, huh? I shall. The four of us seated at this table are joint owners of the Candy Club, a rather successful institution devoted to the sale of food, liquor, entertainment... And the gambling. And games of chance. For some time now, we have all resented sharing the profits. Some of us have attempted to buy out the others. Uh, Denby, you needn't babble on. No one wants to sell. We know that. True, true, Mr. Piper. Which is the reason for this little game of cards? One hand shall be dealt to each of us. A hand at poker. Whoever wins gets the club. The others retire as gracefully as they can. Agreed? That's why uh, yes. we... Agreed. Very well. The cards are shuffled. I'll place them in the center of the table. Bacasto... Would you like to... I cut. Good. If nobody minds, I'll cut them too. After Mr. Lacasto. Nobody minds. Happy now, Mr. Piper? Let's get going, huh? Very well. Unless Jean would care to... Oh, thanks. 
<laughs> We're all crooks here, which sort of cancels out any funny business with a card. Very well. We shall all draw a card in turn until five cards are drawn by each player. Shall we start, Jean? Sure. Lucasto? Okay. Mr. Piper? Yes, of course. And myself. We just keep going in rotation. This is fun. Fun? No, no. There's too much money which rides on these cards. That's what makes it fun. Would you mind keeping quiet? I'm nervous. We all are, one way or another. I think we all have our five cards now. We all got them. Very well, then. In the same order that the cards were dealt. Jean? A pair of threes. Lucasto? Nothing. Mr. Piper? Kings. Two. The light! Piper. Well, what... Hey, hey, I don't like the same stuffy, mister, but will you take your elbow out of my back? I'd be delighted to, Mr. Goodwin, but it's not my elbow. I don't care if it's your tibia maximus, just take it away. Chuck wouldn't like that. Well, we have company. Mind if I look around? Keep uh, right on walking, pal. Well, that would be Chuck behind me, huh? And you are... My name is Denby. You may remember it. Oh, yeah, yeah, you phoned a couple of hours ago about, about a card game. Now, look, just what is your boy poking in my back? I think it's a 38. You're not sure? It might be a 45. Chuck, is it loaded? Make a funny move, pal, and you'll find out the hard way. Yo, wait a minute. It's just a passing curiosity. Uh, where are we going? My car. Get in. If you insist. I guess you do. Okay. I'll drive, Chuck. Car bulletproof? No, that's hardly necessary. Chuck shoots first. Well, it's a saving, I guess. The only thing is, I uh, I hadn't figured on taking a ride. I told Mr. Wolf I was going for a walk. He disapproved. You're but... going for a ride. Isn't that a little corny? Now, there's a minor difference. Usually, the uh, guest, shall we say, is killed at the conclusion of the ride. In this well, case, let's not make the difference too minor. Huh? You will survive the ride. It's what comes afterwards that might kill you. You see, Mr. Goodwin, my friends and I have a little mystery to solve. You want me to solve it? No. We want Mr. Wolf to solve it. In order to do so, he must leave his house and come to mine. He has to in order to find the solution quickly. Why? Neither my friends nor myself have any desire to improve our acquaintance with the police. Therefore, we want the mystery solved before the police are even called in. Hence our need for Mr. Wolf. Hence our detaining you. Detaining is a pretty word in the circumstances. Now, this is my home, Mr. Goodwin. Oh, well, I don't like the architecture. I think I'll stay out. Get going, pal. On second thought... Mr. Denby, what makes you think Mr. Wolf is going to leave his house and come here? You. Unless he does so, he will lose you. Forever. The door, Chuck. Okay. Mr. 
Goodwin, may I introduce you to my associates in business and in poker? To your right, Mr. Lacasto, a charming but impulsive fellow. Hello. He's only the stooge. Where's the fat fellow? In time, Lacasto. The lovely lady whose back is to you is Jean. Jean something or other. She's always changing her name. Hello. Hello. And the gentleman facing you is Mr. Piper. How do you do? Uh, is he exclusive or just... Hey, he's wearing his red carnation a little low, isn't he? Over his heart. Except that's no carnation. That, Mr. Goodwin, is blood. Lifeblood. Hardy. Oh, Pa, he's always taking walks. Come in, the door's unlocked. Are you... Yeah, you're wolf. Having made a magnificent discovery, suppose you remove your hat? No, nope, come on. I beg your pardon? Mr. Denby wants to see you. Mr. Danby can see me here. Here ain't where he wants to see you. Here, at the risk of minor monotony, is where he'll have to see me. Don't you want your boy Goodwin to keep on living? No one has ever been able to discourage him. Mr. Denby will. Ah, Archie's in custody? No, in Mr. Denby's house under a gun. I don't have to believe that. Take a look at this. Hmm, wallet. Archie's wallet. I shall accompany you. And permit me to warn you that if Mr. Goodwin has been harmed, nothing short of murder will satisfy me. It's getting late. Wolf isn't here yet. Maybe he doesn't worry about you, Goodwin. Well, he could have been delayed. Maybe an orchid needed a pollen transfusion or something. Besides, only the good die young. Then you must be very, very good, Archie. That remark I didn't care for. We sit here and wait for the fat one, but in the meanwhile, the police... The police will come when we notify them. But they will not like the delay we make to notify them. I say we waste time. I say the fat one will not risk coming. You say entirely too much. Is that so? Maybe I kill you myself. Picasso, put that gun away. Yes, darling Archie should have a chance to live. Not long if Wolf doesn't come. Stop looking so pleased. Are you afraid to die, Archie? Yeah, well, I'm not looking forward to it. It's so final. <laughs> Besides, I didn't eat a hearty dinner. And it... Oh, the Marines have landed. Who is it? Chuck, with Merrill Wolf. Let him in. Shut the door, Chuck. Stay outside. Archie? Hello, Mr. Wolf. Oh, am I glad to see you. I regret I cannot say the same thing. Blast you, why couldn't you stay at home instead of taking those confounded walks? I warned you it would be dangerous. Yeah, but Mr. Wolf, it wasn't the fresh air that got me. It was Denby. Mr. Wolf, I knew you wouldn't come here without some sort of pressure. I thought the method I used would be most effective. Would you really have killed Archie if I hadn't come? I would have had no choice. I would have been stuck with a witness to an unsolved murder. Suppose I cannot solve it. I should be forced to apply the same logic to two witnesses. Mm hmm. Mr. Wolf, you really came here to save my life, huh? Nonsense. I came here for a fee, Mr. Denby. I have a check for $1,000 already made out. Clear it up. You forget. I left my home. I traveled unprotected through the streets of the city, exposed to motor accidents, to fresh air, too. You offer me $1,000. Will $2,500 do? Barely. Archie, will you take the check? Now, 
I presume you want me to find who killed the gentleman at the table, the one facing me, huh? His name is Mr. Piper. The name is no importance. Will you all sit at the table in the same position you were at the time of the shooting? Of course. Jean? Picasso? Good. Now for a look at the wound. Hmm. The lights, I should imagine, went out for a while when the shooting occurred. They went out? Yes. Of the three of you at the table, which one had the best motive for the murder? We all have the same motive. The club. Helpful. There was no one else in the room at the time? No one. The door? Locked. With Chuck on guard outside of it. So much for that. The windows, I notice, are closed. They were closed when the murder took place? They were closed. The window panes are all unbroken, which eliminates the possibility of the shot being fired from outside of them, unless one of them was raised and lowered. That wouldn't have been possible. The windows are secured by catches. Archie, will you check that? Okay, Mr. Wolf. I shall for the moment assume that the windows are neither lying nor untrustworthy. Does anyone remember anything unusual occurring at the time of the shooting? Well, someone whispered Piper just before the shot. Indeed. You all heard that whisper? We heard it. Man's voice or woman? Well, I I can't say. A whisper doesn't reveal much of anything. The windows weren't open, Mr. Wolf. Which leads to... The fact that it had to be one of us in this room. But which one, Mr. Wolf? The murder weapon. Ah, yes. Yes, yes. Has it been moved? Nobody touched it. It's laying on the floor where it was dropped. Interesting. If you look closely, you would observe two oil spots staining the rug between the revolver and the lady's chair, indicating uh, who sat at the right of Mr. Piper. I did. Why? Mr. Danby. Yes? If I were you, I would turn Mr. Lacaster over to the police. You are a liar. I, I... warned you about that gun, Lacaster. <laughs> Was it necessary to shoot Mr. Lacaster? In the arm, yes. He was reaching for a gun. He'll live, however, till the police take him away. What do I tell them? You could point out the angle of the wound. As you notice, Mr. Denby, the bullet entered Mr. Piper's heart from the right. Yes, so it did. Therefore, whoever sat to his right, well, that was Lacaster. Archie, you have a check? I have it. We may as well leave. Uh, Mr. Wolfe. You're sure Lacasto shot Piper? I have indicated the evidence. The rest will be up to the jury. Come, Archie. Uh-huh. Uh, Jean. Yes, Archie? Now that my life expectancy has increased, what are you doing tomorrow night? Archie? I got a scram. Lancaster 7583. I'll be ringing your bell. Oh, Mr. Denby, you better do something about Lucasto's arm or he won't live to be executed. You see, the executioner likes them warm before he chills them. Homestead looks very nice, Mr. Wolf. Yes, Archie. You should stay in it more often. Yeah, but you never get to meet babes like Jean that way. You never get kidnapped either. Nor would I have had to leave my home in order to rescue you. Yeah, well, you weren't a nice fee, fast. Indeed? You seem doubtful about it. Positive, Archie. I know. I have not as yet earned my fee. Huh? You mean Denby might not turn Lucasto over to the cops? Of course he will. The trouble is, you see, Lacasto did not murder Piper. No? 
He just thought a bullet in the heart might be good for Piper's rheumatism, huh? As it happens, Piper suffered from asthma. <laughs> That's beside the point. Fine. Mr. Wolf, I'm going to take it for granted that you know who did kill Piper. I'm also going to take it for granted that you won't tell me until you're ready. But why turn Lucasto over to the police? Two reasons, Archie. First, I had no proof against the real killer. Secondly, we had to supply a scapegoat in order to be permitted to leave the Danby home. You were unarmed, helpless. Go ahead, rub it in. Nonsense. It was an interesting problem. I enjoyed it. It was, huh? Well, to me, it's still in the present tenses. Which reminds me, as old Dr. Tidmouse said, there's always a future tense. And in that future tense, Jean. No, Archie. Oh, Mr. Wolf, stop. That girl's got a love for blood that appeals to the ghoul in me. <laughs> Besides, did you notice what she does to her dress? Archie, I was merely about to say that I have no objections to your dallying with the girl. Oh, I don't believe it. My ears need overhauling. I objected only to the future tense. Why not call her now? Yeah, well, I won't pretend I understand this sudden enthusiasm on your part about my love life. Probably there's some foul scheming motive at the bottom of it. But who am I to look a gift horse in the mouth? Now, let's see. Her number was, um... Lancaster, 7583, of course. <laughs> this is the most beautiful bar and grill I've ever seen, Archie. Drank, you mean? What? Uh, never mind, never mind. All right. Archie, did anybody tell you you were beautiful, too? Well, a girl here and there has mentioned it. Oh, were they liars? No. Uh, tell me, Jean, how did you ever get into the gambling den racket? Because I'm a crook. Well, I suspected that, but... Uh, I want another drink. You've had enough. I want another drink, and when Jean wants another drink, no gentleman who is a gentleman... Jean, get down! Oh, let me go. I don't want to climb under the table. Don't stay in the here until the barrage stops. Ah, I guess the war's over. All right, Jean, get up. No, now I'm here. I like it. I'm going to stay here for months and months. Jean, do you realize that somebody just tried to kill you? And I thought you had such a nice, honest face. No, 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 not me. Somebody out in the street. I don't know why, but Mr. Wolf will. Come on, pour yourself together and let's go see him. The nice fat man? All right, I like him. You do? Why? Because he'd make such a big corpse. Is that you, Archie? Plus Jean. What made you think I wanted her here? Well, she's one of your fans. <laughs> she thinks you'd make a lovely corpse. What was the reason for bringing her here? She was shot at. Did you expect her to be? I expected her to be killed. That's why I sent you to her. It didn't occur to you I might be killed, too? It did. I was willing to take the chance. You were willing? Oh, Mr. Wolf, Jean's a little under the weather. Splendid. In vino veritas. Watch your language. I mean the people in their cups often tell the truth, a proverb of some antiquity. Who shot at you tonight, Jean? Well, I don't know. I, I didn't see has it occurred to you that you might just as easily have murdered Piper as not? But Lucasto killed Piper. You said so yourself. I lied. Furthermore, why the attack on you if Lucasto was the murderer? Well, I... I don't know. 
Did you also not know that Lucasta escaped from jail earlier this evening? You're making that up. Why should I? Mr. Denby turned him over to the police, but Lucasta managed to get away before being jailed. That's not crooked. Incidentally, Mr. Denby will be joining us at any moment. I expected you to bring Gene Archie. Therefore, with the exception of Mr. Piper, who is resting in the morgue, and Mr. Lucasto, who is at large, we shall have all the participants in the card game. With them, perhaps, we can deal a new hand, hmm? Archie? Okay. Maybe it's the morgue to tell us Piper escaped. Oh, wrong again. Come in, Mr. Denby. Mr. Wolf, I'm upset. I heard over the radio about Lucasto's escape. He'll try to kill us all. Why? Because we can testify that he murdered Piper. Truly. I beg your pardon? Lucasto did not kill Piper. But you said that he did. The only evidence against Lucasto was the angle of the entrance of the bullet that lodged in his heart. May I remind you of the whisper you all heard in the darkness preceding Piper's death? The whisper that said Piper? Precisely. We must assume, then, that Piper turned his body in the direction of the whisper. Therefore, the angle of the wound would be wrong for Lucasto. But the correct one for... Whoever sat opposite Piper. I sat opposite him. But that doesn't mean I killed him. Wait, you must have. Once he turned, the bullet must have come from opposite him. Only possible way. That means you, Jean. No. No, it's a frame. May I interrupt for a moment? Mr. Denby, if our present analysis is correct, it must have been you who whispered to Piper. Did you? I... I hadn't thought about it before, but... uh... Denby, you're lying. No, he's not lying. Continue, Mr. Denby. Well, when the lights went out, I wanted to tell Piper something. He he turned to me, and that's when he was shot. Archie, you've taken all this down. In my prettiest shorthand, Mr. Wolf. Good. I I don't know why you're doing this, Denby. Maybe you think if I take the rap, you'll get the club. But remember, Lacasto's still free. He's gunning for all of us. But it'll be you. Especially you he'll want. Maybe you can talk a jury into sending me up for something I didn't do, but you won't live to gloat about Go it. Go shut up, Jean. You killed Piper and... Who, who's that? This is, of course, the murderer of Mr. Piper. No comments? Archie, the door, if you please. But, but you said I was the one who... What kind of idiocy is this? Archie, I said the door. Okay, but shall I ask him in or sock him? You will act as the situation demands. Yes, sir. For once, I'd like to know what the situation is. Raise him, Goodwin, and keep him that way. Now back up into the living room. I don't back up, Good. My gears... You want it here? Uh, Never mind, I'll strip a gear. Archie, what are you doing? Just what the situation demands, backing up. In case your knowledge of armaments has failed you, our little friend Chuck here is pointing a thirty-eight revolver at me. Won't save him from the chair. Maybe not. But it could give me quite a pain in the stomach. Chuck, what do you think you're doing? You double-crossing louse. Gentlemen, if you So please. you thought you'd run to the fat dick and pin it all on me, huh, Denby? You don't know what you're talking about. We haven't even mentioned you. You're sure of that, huh? Then why did Wolf phone me and tell me you were about to sing? Wolf phoned you? Yeah. Said you were getting ready to feed me to the electrician up the river. Oh, he was making a stab in the dark, Chuck. Trying to start something. That's so, Wolf. Archie, will you read Chuck your notes about Mr. Denby's statement regarding the whisper? Well, that doesn't mean... It could be misunderstood. Read me the notes, Goodwin. Here it is, I quote. When the lights went out, I wanted to tell Piper something. 
He turned to That's me and... That's all I need to hear. Chuck. You were selling me out after hiring me to knock off Piper. You dumb gunman. Now you've given Wolf what he wants, a confession. I was trying to pin it on Gene. That's what you say now. It's kind of late, though. Too late no. for you. No, no, oh, oh, oh. Goodbye, Mr. Denby. Nice shooting, Chuck. Stay put, Goodwin. The rest of you, I'm leaving. The police wouldn't approve. Better let me have your gun. Huh? Wise guy. You know something? I've been thinking. Can you think? If I was to knock off you and Goodwin, me and Gene could split the club between us and nobody would ever know who killed Piper. Very whimsical, Chuck, but if you don't mind... Ah, gee, don't be an idiot. Well, if I have to get shot, I prefer it to happen when I'm moving forward. Ah, gee. Okay, come and get it, Goodwin. March right up nice and easy and take it. I'm coming. <laughs> would somebody mind telling me why I don't fall down? Ooh. I've been shot. Well, that's not the way to talk to a man who's just been... Hey, Chuck is lying down. He... Is he dead? Well, there's been a mistake. I didn't shoot him. He shot me. Archie, stop blabbering. Neither of you shot the other. As a matter of fact... I shot the Chuck. Lucasto. Lucasto, Archie? Well, I thought he escaped. No, I'm not crazy. I do not escape. The fat one, he phones the police to tell them how I'm innocent. Yes, I had the police announce the escape, however, for reasons of, uh... Should I say strategy? <laughs> Well, on account of there are no bullet holes in me, you can say whatever you like, Mr. Wolf. Thank you, Archie. That announcement helped heighten the tension our murderers were under. And then they explode. The fat one, he says to me, Locasto, wait in the next room. Watch careful. Maybe there's trouble. I watch. And now? <laughs> now there's no more trouble. <laughs> Well, place looks a lot tidier now with all those bodies removed, huh? Indeed. Okay, I'll get I... you the bottle of beer. But first, make with an explanation. The case was crystal clear, Archie. Maybe, but I'm no crystal gazer. Sure, I know. Denby had things arranged in advance with Chuck in case anybody held a better hand than his own. Piper did. So Denby whispered to Piper after kicking the light switch and set him up for a shot by Chuck from the doorway. The angle would provide evidence against Lucasto. True. However, we had only Denby's word for it and Chuck's that the door was locked. All right. We know, but you knew before Denby and Chuck blew up. How? The oil spots on the rug, Archie? Well, they only showed the gun had bounced when the murderer threw it away. Spattered oil, very well-kept gun. They showed more than that. Where were those spots in relation to the gun? Think back, Archie. Spots in relation... Oh, Sure. They were between the gun and the door. Therefore, the gun must have been thrown from the door. Bounced twice, staining the rug before reaching its final destination. Ah, I get it now. That told you who'd fired the gun. But there wasn't proof enough, so you set up a nice atmosphere of suspicion and had the boys give each other away. <laughs> All right, Mr. Wolf, you're a genius, and uh, you may have your beer. Thank you, Archie. As for me, I'm not a genius, but I remember a phone number. <laughs> so if you'll excuse me, Mr. Wolf. You're excused, Archie. Thanks. But before you call that number, may I remind you that Jean is a girl of macabre tastes who appeals to the ghoul in you. <laughs> sure you may, but why bother? In order to be able to warn you that uh, <laughs> a ghoul and his money are soon parted. <laughs> Good night, Archie. 
I've been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight's transcribed story was based on the characters created by Rex Stout. This is an Edwin Fadiman program. In the cast were Gerald Moore as Archie Goodwin, and Betty Lou Gerson, Jay Novello, Howard McNear, Barney Phillips, and Bill Johnstone. Next week at this same time, Nero Wolfe and Archie will bring you The Case of the Calculated Risk. Don Stanley speaking. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. My name's Regan. I work for Anthony J. Lyon, Detective Bureau. They call me the Lion's Eye. Jeff Regan, investigator, starring Paul Dubov as Regan with Frank Nelson as Anthony J. Lyon. So stand by for mystery and suspense and adventure in tonight's story titled A Cure for Insomnia. An ad in the papers, that's what started this one off. There were three dead and one to go by the time we got to the last half of the last inning of it, and it looked like the pitcher that was tossing the strikeouts was shooting for my boss, Anthony J. Lyon. It got rolling the kind of day you don't see much around L.A. Storm breaking about ten in the morning when I got down to the Lyon Detective Bureau office. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, my boy, be careful where you stand. What's the matter, Lion? Drop an olive? Oh, don't be funny. Your feet are muddy and we can't afford to have the carpet cleaned. Not the way business is going these days. Yeah, well, okay, Lion. Uh, mind if I sit down? My overcoat's wet. Well, then take it off first. Regan, our books don't balance for the month of April. Wait a minute. Leave your coat on and don't sit down. So we got a new client. Yes, Jeffrey. I was sitting here at my desk 20 minutes ago trying to balance our books. And the phone and... rang and it was a new client. Uh, exactly, Jeffrey. Who? A man named Paulson. He lives in Hollywood in the hills above Hollywood and Vine on Chapman Boulevard. Seven, seven, oh, seven and a half. And you better get out there right away. Somebody's life in danger, maybe? Hmm? Life in danger? Oh, no, no. The victim's already dead. Mrs. Paulson. Paulson's wife. He murdered Paulson, says he. he wants us to prove it. Paulson wants us to prove his wife was murdered? Yes. You see, Mrs. Paulson died seven or eight days ago. The police say she committed suicide. But Mr. Paulson would be so much happier if it would turn out that she were murdered, Jeffrey. Nice fella. Isn't he, my boy? He wants to pay us a hundred dollars. Not what I meant. Hmm? Well, Look, Lion, if Mrs. Paulson died seven or eight days ago, what's so urgent about my getting out there this morning? The one hundred dollars, Jeffrey. Oh, I get it. As I explained to you, my boy, try as I might, scheme as I would, our April books refuse to balance. Now, uh, I've been thinking that perhaps one little fee carried backwards from the first week of May okay, might... Okay, ba- Fatso, set your calendar back to standard time. I'll go out and talk to Paulson. 
I went. Through bus or rain, eating off hillside frontage, sluicing California down glutted drains that couldn't keep up. I turned right at Sunset Niagara, went up two blocks, forded Hollywood Boulevard. Chapman Boulevard was half a dozen blocks of twisted hill lit, bleary, tile-roofed stucco houses. 7707 and a half, where Paulson lived, was the rear third of a triplex. I parked my car, turned up my overcoat collar, went back. Mr. Regan. That's right. Come in. I'm Paulson. Come in. Now, just sit down, Mr. Regan. I'll tell you everything. All about it. All that happened. Sure, sure. Just let me get out of my overcoat. I'll help you. Thanks, thanks. I got it. Ah. You uh, seem pretty upset, Paulson. Yes, yes. The thing is, I can't endure doubting any longer. I I can't stand the doubt, the fear that my wife wasn't murdered. Uh, Paulson, doesn't it strike you as a little queer that a guy'd want to spend a hundred bucks with private dicks to prove his wife was murdered? Oh, no, 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 not at all. You'd better give me the rundown, Paulson. Yes, yes, that would be best. Well, my wife's name was Linda, Linda Paulson. We'd been married seven years, and we were very much in love with each other. Seven nights ago, quietly in her twin bed, the other bed where she slept, in our bedroom, that room there, uh, Mr. Regan... Go on. Uh, Linda died in the night. Sometime in the night. You woke up in the morning and found her dead. Yes. And, Mr. Regan, it, it was ascertained that Linda had died of poison. What the cops have to say about it? Well, of course, they investigated, but... Their verdict was suicide. Capsules containing the same poison that killed Linda were found in her purse. And there were other things. I don't know quite what. But the police were convinced that Linda had definitely taken the poison herself. Well, then, that about settles it, doesn't it, Paulson? Except except for Linda's motive. Motive? Uh, That's the term used in these matters, isn't it? Well, Linda had no reason to want to die. No motive for killing herself. You seem sure of that. I... I was. I was sure of it, but... But now I've begun to doubt. And that's why I want help. Don't you see? If Linda wasn't murdered, if it was suicide as the police seem so sure, then that means that my wife wanted to die. That means that our... Our life together, when I thought we were very happy, wasn't what it seemed to be at all. I see what you mean. And that's why you want me to prove it was murder. Yes, Mr. Regan. It makes sense. All right, Paulson, heat up some coffee, huh? We'll get to work. Paulson brewed coffee. Like I'd hoped, it steadied him down. He gave me what he could. It wasn't much. He and his wife were ordinary middle-bracket people. No love triangles, Paulson said. Mrs. Paulson hadn't had any money of her own. Her life hadn't been insured. Paulson said she'd been perfectly normal, no depression, nothing queer, right up to her death. I took down the names and addresses of some of the friends and relatives, told Paulson I want to check around. Then I went downtown to Homicide, dropped in on Lieutenant Sanducci. All right, Regan, what can I do for you? It's about a woman named Linda Paulson, Sanducci. Oh, sure, the woman that killed herself a week or so ago. Look, Sanducci... The husband's retained me to prove she didn't kill herself. He thinks she was murdered. Thanks, Regan. Listen, have you seen the house where it happened? Came from there just now. Well, then, narrow bottleneck passage back to it between two front houses. Yeah. The night it happened, it was hot. 
neighbors had their chairs out at the head of the passage. Nobody could get in or out without being seen. Maybe Paulson killed her himself. Thought of that? We're not amateurs here at the department, Regan. Paulson was out at a meeting. Mrs. Paulson went to bed at 10.30. Neighbors saw the lights go out in the house. Neighbors see Paulson come home? At 25 after 11. Went to bed in the dark. His wife was a poor sleeper. He didn't want to disturb her. We haven't told him this, Regan, but she was dead then. You got the time of the death from the reaction of the poison. Plus the state of the cadaver. Now, figuring the two together, she took the poison when she went to bed at 10.30, died 10 minutes later. And there's a clincher, Regan. Go on. The pillbox Mrs. Paulson kept in her purse, uh, kind of unusual. It had a key that she kept on a chain around her neck. That's where it was when you saw the body. Yes. And the pillbox in the purse was locked. That's right, Regan. No tampering with the lock. Mrs. Paulson's fingerprints on the box and nobody else's. And we know she was alone in the house when she took the poison. Now, look, Regan. You talked to her husband. He told you she had no motive to kill herself, same as she told us. That's right. Well, did he give you the whole rundown, Regan? About how they had no enemies, the woman had no money, no insurance... Nice, decent, ordinary people, Regan. Not the kind to be mixed up in crime or rackets. He gave me that. Well, Regan, maybe it suggested something to you? Sure, Sanducci. Sure it did. If Paulson's story checks, there won't be any motive for Mrs. Paulson's having killed herself. And there won't be motive for anybody else having killed her either. That's right, Regan. Oh, and Regan, Paulson's story checks. <laughs> It checked. I cruised through the rain, visited people who knew the Paulsons. Everybody said the same thing. No reason, no motive for murder or suicide. Only there had to be a reason. I'd start with that. At the newspaper morgue downtown, I got the beginning of something. Hey, sure, Regan, I remember the Paulson thing. <laughs> you know my reputation, Regan. Morgan, the, the guy, guy who, who never, never forgets, forgets a thing. thing. Sure, sure, I know, Morgan. Why, I've come to you. Yeah, well, I could give it to you verbatim. Don't have to look it up in the files. You know, it's like they say, Morgan, Morgan never forgets. <laughs> well, let's see, Linda Paulson, you said, huh? Suicide. Well, her maiden name was Linda Kales. Say, wait a minute. Got something? Maybe. Just let me check a minute. Huh? The Oregon papers. We keep them, too. We keep papers from every place. Yep. Portland, Oregonian. Yeah, it was Portland, all right. The Oregonian. March, uh, yeah, March 18th. And the sixth page, and I think it was the fifth column. Uh, no, 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 no. Here it is. Sixth page, fourth column. Well, I slipped up, Regan. Anyway, here it is. Scales. Let's see that. Yeah, sure, look. Yeah. Scales. Yeah, brother, Regan. Yeah. He died suddenly in bed March 17th, survived by three sisters, all residing in Los Angeles, California. Yeah, and here it is, Regan, thing I remembered. One of those sisters. Yeah, yeah. Linda Kales Paulson. I phoned the lion, told them to get through to Sanducci in homicide, try to get Sanducci to have the Portland police exhume the body of the dead brother, perform an autopsy for possible evidence of poison. Me? I got on the track of the surviving sisters around L.A. One was married. Her home phone didn't answer. But five or six phone calls got me a line on the other sister. She was unmarried. Her name was Jane Kales. She worked at a resort up in San Gabriel Canyon, about a two-hour drive from L.A. I went up there. Looks like you don't like our snow up here, mister. Uh, you're right, I don't. 
Sometimes we get it this late in the year. We're 5,000 feet up. We'll sit down to the counter and have something hot. Okay, coffee. I'm the cashier, but while the counter girl's on a restaurant... You're the cashier, huh? Yeah, that's right. I'm looking for you. You're Jane Kales. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, so what? Here's your coffee. My name's Regan. I'm a private detective. Thanks. Well, well, what do you want with me? I I ain't done nothing. I mind my own business. Take it easy. Well, I'm edgy. I don't get my sleep. Haven't ever slept good. It, it runs in the family. But now that my sister Linda's gone and poisoned herself... Why, I'm here. Her husband doesn't think she did poison herself. What do you think? I'll tell you what I think. I think it's a sin. I've been lying awake nights. Lying awake asking myself, how could Linda have done a thing like that? Maybe your sister was murdered. <gasps> have you thought of that? What? Linda? Maybe your brother up in Oregon, too. Oh, that's impossible. There wouldn't be any reason. There wouldn't be any reason. Money someplace in the family, maybe, Jane? Oh, no. No, we don't have any money. Not for 20 years. 20 years? Well, Dad had money before the crash, but he lost it. Got cleaned out in 29. He died four years later. Okay, okay, Jane. And there's just you and your married sister down in L.A. left in the family now. Yes, Caroline. That's my other sister. Caroline Kales Martz. She married Charlie Martz 11 years ago. Yeah, Mr. Regan. Caroline and I are the only ones left. Back down in L.A. about 6.30, I was lucky. I got Caroline on the phone. She and her husband were going out to dinner, but she said they'd be back by 10. About a quarter past 10, I went over. By half past, we had the brush cleared away and we're down to business. the truth, Mr. Regan. My husband and I have discussed it and discussed it. We just can't believe that Linda would have... Oh, pardon me, Mr. Regan? Sure, Martz. We just can't believe that Linda would have killed herself. Mrs. Martz. Yes? Suicide's usually prompted by love trouble or ill health. There certainly wasn't any love trouble. Linda and her husband were very happy. And health? Well, of course, Linda would sometimes say that... Yes, Mrs. Mart? Well, only that if she couldn't rest, if she couldn't get more sleep, you know, she'd she'd kill herself. But all of us in our family sleep very poorly, and I'm sure that every one of us must have said that as one... Mr. Regan, can you come here a minute? The, The phone is for you. Excuse me. Yes, of course. Phone's hung up, Marts. Oh, yes. Yes, I... I didn't want Caroline to hear. What's up? Mr. Regan, this thing is beginning to take on a pattern. A pattern that frightens me for my wife. That was San Gabriel Canyon on the phone. Yes, it was. The the night cashier at the resort took sick this evening. They went to get my wife's sister, Jane, to fill in. It had snowed and then stopped. There were no tracks to Jane's cabin but her own. She was alone... Wait a minute. You're going to tell me they found her dead. Suicide, Mr. Regan. She'd taken poison. The way this case went, it looked like the Kales clan had developed quite a taste for poison. Linda Kales Paulson died of it. Then there was a brother dead up in Oregon. My money had it, they'd find he died of poison too if they dug him up and took a look. And then there was a third Kales, Jane, dead too, San Gabriel Canyon, poison. I told Charlie Martz to keep a close eye on the last Kales left alive, his wife. 
Then I headed for San Gabriel Canyon. Snowplow was working on the road the last mile up. Had to wait a while, so I phoned the lion in L.A. At home, it was midnight. Anthony J. Lyons, butler speaking. May I take a message for Mr. Lyon? He's out. You don't tell me, Fatso. Jeffrey, why are you calling at this hour? Why are you out? Hiding from somebody? No, of course not. Okay, skip it. Here's what I want you to do. Check the airline, train, and bus offices. They're open all night. Find out if any of the Kales family or in-laws had a reservation up to Portland, Oregon, any time just before the brother died up there. You're very well, Jeffrey. Phone me if you get anything. I'll be at Clemens Mountain Resort, San Gabriel Canyon. Maybe an hour or two. Get going and good luck. The snowplow finished clearing the road, and I went on up San Gabriel Canyon. There was one light left on in the resort cafe. Sitting under it, Lieutenant Sanducci. Well, Regan, I thought you'd be showing up here. Who sent you up, Sanducci? You did, Regan. You and the lion. I checked with the Portland police. They were fast up there. So the brother was poisoned. He was poisoned, Regan. And this girl up here. And the first sister, Linda Paulson. And now the third sister. Third? Give me that again. Caroline March, down in Los Angeles. I'm waiting for the phone now for a report on her condition. I told her husband to keep an eye on her. He said he did, Regan. She was nearly hysterical over her sister's death up here. She went into the bathroom, crying half sick. Well, in a few minutes, Marts heard her cry out. He ran in, and she was unconscious on the floor. Called an ambulance, and they rushed to the receiving hospital. And she'd been poisoned. Like the others, Regan. Now, Regan, this one up here, this Jane Cales, every bit of evidence points to suicide. That there was fresh snow. Only her tracks led to the cabin. Two or three extra poison capsules and a medicine chest. Jane Kales didn't commit suicide. You know that, Regan? I talked to her this afternoon. She hated suicide. Couldn't understand how anybody could do such a thing. But if it's murder, Regan, why? What motive? Yeah, sure. And how? How does the killer pull it off? Oh, that'll be the hospital report on Mrs. Caroline Mart's condition. Excuse me a second. Sure. Hello, Sanducci. Huh? Oh, 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 just a minute. No, it's for you, Regan. Must be the lion. Maybe he's got something for us. I had him working on a lead. Hello, lion. This is Regan. No, no, this is Morgan. You know, Morgan, who never forgets a thing at the newspaper morgue. Oh, hi, Morgan. Yeah, I phoned Anthony Lyon. He told me how to reach you. Yeah, what's on your mind? Uh, <laughs> I forgot something, Regan. <laughs> you did, Morgan? Yeah, something in the San Fernando Valley Times on March 7th on Kale. Go on, Morgan. You see, we don't file the Valley Times, but I remember it verbatim. You see, it's like they say... Yeah, Morgan never forgets a thing. What was it in the Valley Times about Kales? Uh, Well, it was an ad, Regan. The lower left-hand corner in the seventh page, two columns wide. I'd say about three-column inches, a three-line bold face head with a wide margin, and the last line of type didn't print quite clear. Okay, Morgan, what did it say? Well, Bank of United States, North Hollywood, California, and then there was some stuff about the bank. What did it say? Oh, you know, capitalization when it was founded. You want that? You can skip that part. What did it say about Kales? Uh, Bertram Kales? Yeah. Oh, well, Bertram Kales has $73,000 in the Bank of United States in North Hollywood. But there's been no activity in the account for 20 years. So yeah? if Kales is some relation, don't show up to claim the dough, why the bank is going to turn it over to the treasurer of the state of California. The regular legal process, you know, the ad is the formal notification. Thanks a lot, Morgan. You've just given me the motive for three murders. <laughs>
make sense now, Regan. Dollar sense. Bertram Kales would be the father of the tribe. He was in the bucks once, got cleaned out in a crash. Jane Kales told me that this afternoon. Only he must have stashed away one bank account, 73,000 smacks he didn't tell anybody about. He wouldn't have wanted the investigators to find it if he failed in business about that time. Probably planned to use the dough a few years later, after the squeeze was off. Only he died four years after the crash. Jane Kales told me that, too. It adds up, Regan. It adds up to mass murder. All the Kales children had equal claims to their dead father's dough. So somebody started knocking off the children systematically, one by one. Object? To get all the 73,000. That's the why of it, all right. Now, what we got left is the how. And the who. Maybe that'll be the lion now. If the lead he's working on pans out, we may have our who. Hello, lion. Is this Clemens Resort in San Gabriel Canyon? Yes, that's right. I'd like to speak to Lieutenant Sanducci of the Los Angeles Police Department, please. This is Georgia Street Receiving Hospital calling. I signaled Sanducci, and he took the booth. I went back to the counter, watched Sanducci through the glass. What he got over the phone, he didn't like. He came busting out of the booth. Reagan, wait till you hear this. What's up, Sanducci? What's up? I tell you what's up. Caroline Mott's recovered. They pumped out her stomach. Her stomach contained the same poison that killed her two sisters and her brother. That figures. Sure it figures. But Caroline Kills Mott got to the hospital in time. She didn't die like the others. You mean you think she took poison as a cover-up? She was the last surviving Kills child. The way it is now, she gets the $73,000. But she's got a nice outfit, and if we suggest she poisoned her brother and sisters... Yeah, yeah, she got poisoned too. Yeah, it could be that. Well, we better get down to town and ask Caroline some questions. Well, that, that's what I've been trying to tell you. When she turned out to be all right, Regan, those nitwits I left in charge down there released her. She disappeared. Sanducci and I drove back to L.A. He used the siren on his police car, and I stuck right behind in his windstream. We got back down to town after 4 a.m. Nobody home at the Mars house. We found only one thing. On Caroline Kale's Mars dressing table, a black mask. A silk-covered, padded black mask, no eye holes. The kind people use to keep out the light when they're trying to sleep. About six in the morning, I left Sanducci, pulled into a drive-in for coffee and. Rain had stopped. I kept thinking of that black mask on Caroline Kale's March dressing table. Sleeping mask. And something that had run through the whole case like a thread of music. Caroline had said it. Jane Kales had said it. It had been said of Linda, the first sister to die. We don't sleep well. It runs in the family. We don't sleep well. At seven, I phoned the lion. No answer. So I began checking the airline, railway, and bus offices myself. The fourth time around, I got the brass ring. Paulson had bought Transportation Oregon a week before the brother's death in Portland. I wanted to talk to him... Bad. But, uh, but, Mr. Regan, I'm afraid I'm hardly awake. Just sit and listen, Paulson. What I've got to say will wake you up. I think I can guess how the members of your wife's family were poisoned. You can, Mr. Regan? There's plenty of evidence they took the poison themselves. Yes, yes. And they weren't trying to commit suicide when they did it. I hope that's true in the case of my wife. It is. Because there's a way it makes sense. Murder sense. 
The victims took poison thinking they were taking something else. Your wife made quite a career of pill-taking, didn't she, Paulson? Well, well, yes. Just her nerves, of course. Maybe overstrained by lack of sleep? The Kales family insomnia? Yes, yes, that was it, Mr. Regan. She had a pillbox with a lock, kept the key to it on a chain around her neck. Somebody close to her might have been able to get hold of that key, unlock the pillbox, substitute poison pills for the pills already in the box. I see, I see. That must be how it happened, and... And with Jane and with Caroline. And your brother-in-law up in Portland, Oregon. He was poisoned, too? That's right. Paulson, you made a trip up to Oregon just before he died. Uh, That's right, with my wife. A sort of second honeymoon, Mr. Regan. Paulson, maybe you can guess what I'm thinking. Mr. Regan, you, you don't mean you think that I... That you I... were here at the time of the poisonings. Yes, I, that's true. And you were there in Portland. Oh, no, no, I, I didn't go to Portland. What? I, I didn't go. Well, I meant to go. You went to Oregon? Yes, Linda and I. Crater Lake, the Oregon Caves, and then we were going to Portland. The whole family was to meet there for my brother-in-law's 50th birthday. Well, at the Oregon Caves, I had bad news for my business, and I had to come back here. Then who was at Portland, Paulson? Well, the the rest of the family. Including Caroline and Charlie Martz? Yes, yes, of course. Answer it, Paulson. Uh, Yes, all right. Caroline. Hello, Mrs. Martz. Mr. Regan, I had no idea you'd be here, but I guess it's just as well. Mr. Regan, do you know the terrible thing that's happened? That your husband gave you poison? Then you do know. In your sleeping pills, I'd guess. Yes. He... Charlie began saying he couldn't sleep. Faked insomnia, then asked to borrow your sleeping pills. Yes. Filled the capsules with poison, then returned them. He knew you'd take them. We all... All of us, the whole family suffers from insomnia. All the Kale's family. We depend on sleeping pills. As your husband knew. Yes. But why? Why did my husband want to kill me? He didn't, Caroline. He knew he'd get you to the hospital in time. He just wanted to make things look right. So there wouldn't be a lot of questions asked when you got $73,000. Half of which would be your husband's under California community property law. Well, that wrapped it up. All except one thing. We didn't have the killer. I phoned Sanducci and he got the boys on it. An hour went by. Two hours. Three hours. No trace of medium-sized, graying, dapper Charlie Martz. That wasn't all. I kept phoning the office, the lion's house. There was no trace of the lion. About noon, I began rechecking the air, bus, and rail terminals. Uh, Thank you for waiting, sir. May I help you now? I'm checking on train reservations to the north, Oregon, for the first couple of weeks of March. I'm a private detective. Next, you'll be saying you want to know about the reservation to Portland, Oregon, obtained in March by Charles March. Are you psychic? Hardly. But there was another private detective here this morning asking the same question. A fat man smelled of stale cigars. That's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, That hardly makes you special. I noticed that someone was following the fat man. Gimme? Well, a medium-sized, graying, dapper man. Mars. Marts! Sanducci, I won't stick here in your office any longer. I'm going out on it. Reagan, Reagan. I got 20 boys looking for Marts. The whole force is alerted. Man at the airport, man at Union Station, man at the bus terminal. What could you do alone? I don't know, Sanducci, but he's tailing the lion. Uh, Sanducci. Huh? Oh, okay, I'll be right down. Well, Regan, we picked up Marts. They're holding him downstairs. 
Well, Sanducci? Well? Mats won't talk. Sanducci, you gotta make him talk. Look, I've been in a cell with him, Regan. He says he never saw anybody that answered the lion's description. He's lying, Sanducci. Well, he may be, but what can I do? Well, but... here you are, Jeffrey. Jeffrey, why aren't you at the office? Are you taking the day off? Lion, it's you. Well, of course it's me. Jeffrey, I've been worried about you. You've been worried about me? Well, you haven't been home all day, and when I've telephoned the office, no answer. Jeffrey, do we run a business or do we not? Well, you weren't at the office, Fatso. Uh, no, I wasn't. Lion, what is this? What do you mean, what is it? I should be asking you all day away from the office in my hour of need. I told you our April books don't balance. You told me, sure. Well, Jeffrey, one of our creditors got on my trail this morning. Oh, no. Not a medium-sized, graying, dapper man? Yes, a medium-sized, graying, dapper man. Uh, Mr. Lucius Cronkite of Cronkite and Bowles, Pencil Sharpeners and Accessories. He's outside the <laughs> office right now, Jeffrey, and he wants $13. <laughs> Did you collect our fee from Mr. Paulson, Jeffrey? Sure, Lion. Sure, I collected it. Here you are. Jeff Regan, Investigator, is written by William Fifield, produced and directed by Sterling Tracy, and stars Paul Dubov as Regan with Frank Nelson as Anthony J. Lyon. Original music is by Dick Arant. Jeff Regan, investigator, is heard each week at the same time over CBS. Bob Stevenson speaking and inviting you to be with us again for more suspense and mystery and adventure with Jeff Regan, investigator.